0: You're about to hear my conversation with Leslie Marks. We talk all about the recent OPEC cut uh, to production, what that could mean to stock markets. We also talk about the regional banking crisis, get her views on inflation and China reopening, and what her expectations for equities are for the rest of the year. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to McKinsey Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnurr and I'm delighted to be back with our CIO of Equities, Leslie Marks. Leslie, welcome back.
1: Great to be here once again, Matt.
0: The uh, timing of this podcast is uh, excellent as, uh, as markets are always busy, they're throwing uh, things at us. Uh, today, uh, the topic of the day is the uh, surprise OPEC cut of a million barrels of oil. Um, Leslie, I just, uh, let's start there and get your comments on the, the cut and uh, what implications this may have for uh, the economy and, and particular markets.
1: Sure. Well, yes, uh, Mondays have proved to be pretty interesting over the last six weeks or so. And typically we're talking about some new development in the banking sector. So in some sense, it's refreshing not to be talking about the banking sector or any sure weekend events in the banking sector, right? So, um, yes, OPEC was the surprise, uh, announcement over the weekend yesterday, Sunday. We saw a surprise, uh, over $1 million, uh, Boe per day production cut announced by OPEC Plus, and Saudi Arabia said that this was really precautionary um, as as a measure that was really targeted towards stabilizing the the oil market. And I think why this was a surprise is because this is on top of the two million boe per day cuts that we heard or announced last October. Um, but just to you know put something around um, that announcement. When you look at oil prices uh, this year, they're trading actually about 20% lower than the average price of last year. So I think that that was really the motivation was really to ensure that there was a floor and that oil prices didn't continue to fall here.
0: And do you expect it to have a uh, meaningful uh, upward trajectory on, on oil prices? And maybe a secondary question to that is, uh, we've talked about inflation so much. What do you, what impacts do you think this would have uh, to overall global infl- inflation?
1: Well, certainly, as I mentioned, that 20 percent decline in prices year over year has been a tailwind for bringing inflation lower. And the market is certainly concerned that um, we're going to have a bigger challenge with inflation if oil prices start to move materially higher. And we've seen um, already commentary come out from the Federal Reserve just saying, you know, we don't know what this is going to mean for inflation and for our policy. Um, certainly in their interest to have lower oil prices when it comes to policy decisions going forward. Um, also, you've got the U.S. Um, SPR, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And, you know, this idea of restocking the Petroleum Reserve, it makes things a lot more difficult in uh, a rising price environment as well so on the inflation uh, front um, this is definitely a negative and it goes against um, this idea that we need to be fighting inflation not fueling inflation
0: that's great Uh, maybe we'll we'll turn uh, topics uh, to we've just uh, finished the first quarter uh, of the year and uh, as you referenced very volatile quarter uh, some uh, banking uh, challenges uh, lots of uh, sort of doom and gloom in the headlines. Um, but uh, oddly enough, the NASDAQ, which I think many people think of maybe even the most risky part of the equity market, uh, was up 20% uh, this quarter. Um, what should we be making of this? Yeah, like I, th- I think performance
1: um, of everything has surprised so far this year. Like, let's just paint the picture. If, if I told you that we would have the failure of two and almost three US banks, and an emergency rescue of Credit Suisse, and policymakers would have to come in and virtually guarantee deposits to prevent a run on the U.S. banking system. Would you? Would you? Would you predict that the S and P 500 would be up five percent in that quarter? And the and and actually, sorry, five percent since the banking uh, moment of March 10th, and the Nasdaq ten percent. And then if you look at the quarter, to, to your point, the Nasdaq was up seventeen percent in the first quarter. Bitcoin also up over seventy percent in in the quarter. So very, um, you know, unexpected outcomes. I think a, a, across the board. Um, now let's talk about tech stocks because that was the essence of your question. Right. They're certainly benefiting from the view that the Fed is finished or very close to being finished with their tighter monetary policy or increasing interest rates. So investors are basically saying you know whatever was driving these stocks to underperform in 2022 well that's over now and um but f- from our perspective what i would like our listeners to think about is to not forget the fundamentals and you know valuation is is half of the picture of course that definitely drives uh equity price performance but earnings is is the other piece and there are still significant headwinds for technology earnings i mean you think about you know the economic headwinds all of the announcements that we've seen around uh layoffs in the technology sector they're not laying off people because the companies are doing particularly well if they had excess <laughs> sure. if they had excess you know earnings growth prospects they wouldn't be laying off people they would be holding on to people especially in a very talent constrained market so i think that Piece of the puzzle um, seems to have been forgotten in the big move that we saw in the first quarter. And what I'll be looking for uh, now in April is when we start to see the earnings reporting cycle for Q1, but we'll start to see that in a couple of weeks here in in April, starting with the big U.S. technology names, because we still think that there are significant headwinds for earnings here uh, going out through the rest of this year.
0: So fair to say, based on those comments, that um, while uh, some of the performance uh, seems like it was justified in the sense that uh, I think it's the terminal interest rate that's uh, declined a little bit and, and hence the, the better valuations of tech stocks, uh, earnings are being underappreciated uh, by the market and potentially some some headwinds in front of them.
1: I think, yes, er- earnings, headwinds. And, and look, let's just take this you know back to basics here. Um, when you think about easier policy or lower interest rates the environment in which you would get that is in weaker growth and tighter policy or higher rates is when growth is better than expected which is you know the situation we have now where we have um uh you know upward pressure on inflation that we need to fight with higher interest rates so you can't have better than expected growth and easier policy at the same time so if right. we get the policy move that is starting to be priced into the market, which is for earnings cuts later in this, or sorry, uh, interest rate cuts later in this year, then you've got a deceleration in growth, deceleration in earnings, and and that will lead to uh, lower equity prices.
0: Perfect. Um, maybe we'll, we'll leave that uh, uh, there and, and move to something closer to home uh, in Canada. Uh, we've recently had a, a federal budget uh, that was announced Um, I often think that uh, there's lots of commentary on federal budgets uh, and uh, people looking for different goodies and and all the like, uh, all the rest of it. Uh, What did you take away from the federal budget? Is there anything in there that you think is uh, particularly important to uh, companies or markets?
1: I think there's a couple of key things without getting into a lot of detail around the budget. There was there was new spending announced to bolster the healthcare system and spending to um, keep up with the US on clean technology incentives and also spending to help low-income Canadians cope with inflation. So n- none of those things were particularly surprising, but at the end of the day, we still continue to spend... Uh, money that that we don't have as a country, and it's just not sustainable. So while um, you know we look at the context of spending over time and and in history, yes, it's come down from the spending levels of during the pandemic, of course, and obviously, sure. but we're still spending above pre-pandemic levels, and that means we have higher debt and. Um, our, our revenues are declining because the economy is is softening. So our debt to GDP is going to climb and um, certainly above the level that was forecasted in November. And that's just going in the wrong direction. Um, federal debt as a proportion of GDP is going to climb to 43.5% from 42.5%. So as I mentioned, that's just moving in, in the wrong direction. And of course, as I said, having a weaker... Uh, economic outlook is going to impact revenue projections. And so that also makes the outlook um, more uncertain and and we could end up in an even higher debt to GDP um, ratio than what's currently projected today. And and if you look at, I mean, November was only five months ago and we have already seen a change in projections. So that could continue to be the trend and that's just the wrong trend uh, for this country. You know, any excess spending or additional fiscal spending also works against monetary policy. So we always want to be mindful about balancing the fiscal expenditures, especially when we're in an inflationary environment and we have a job that our central bankers, Tiff Macklem, is trying to execute on, which is to bring inflation down. So excess fiscal spending has to be in the context of, you know, that inflation calculus
0: as well. Right. So short term uh, with some of the new spending um, uh, bills, that, that could work to uh, counteract a little bit of the Bank of Canada policy. Is that sort of what you're saying?
1: I think we just have to be mindful of balancing extra fiscal spending, especially beyond what we can afford as, as a country, based on managing our debt because you know the perception of our debt will impact our credit rating as a country, also the Canadian dollar, and then that inflationary piece.
0: And is there anything in the most recent budget that has increased sort of your mid to long term alarm bells on, uh, on Canada as a nation, credit rating, all that sort of stuff that, that you've uh, mentioned here? Uh, or is it more uh, an opportunity to, to sort of shore up the finances uh, that was missed and we've continued on the spending path?
1: I think it's more, more the latter. It, there really was an opportunity here to show a greater fiscal discipline than we saw from the budget outcome.
0: Great. Um, we'll leave Canada there and uh, we'll, we'll continue our world tour it feels like uh, during this podcast. I'd love to talk to you about China. Um, there was a tremendous amount of optimism uh, about uh, the Chinese economy, uh, removing the zero col- col- COVID policy being uh, helpful for global uh, GDP growth in general. Um, we haven't checked in on that for a while. I'd love to to hear your thoughts on how that progressing, how the reopening is happening and maybe what impacts it's having on the overall uh, economy.
1: Yeah, so China has been really interesting to watch. And I think we initially expected it would have a similar path to what we saw here in North America. And I think that the data has supported that. So we've seen a strong rebound in traveling and eating out and just that that overall revenge spending that that we all went through in North America. Um, China's monetary and fiscal policy continues to be very accommodative. The equities have rebounded uh, very strong since October, since we started to price in the China reopening. Um, They're starting to lag a a little bit as we've seen money uh, rotate back into the U.S. And we talked about technology stocks in particular, um, which have been benefiting from lower interest rates. But the data out of China continues to be very strong. So, For example, in their most recent uh, purchasing managers index data for services, this rose to 58.2. And this is the highest level that we've seen since 2011. So it just indicates what a strong recovery the Chinese economy is experiencing quickly. Uh, Manufacturing was a little bit weaker, but still above that 50 indicating that 50 level, which indicates an expansion. So the Chinese economy continues to recover nicely. And the other element that has been surprisingly quite good is the uh, housing uh, market in China Mm. is also starting to recover. And remember, housing did not have the same um, path that we saw in North America, which housing ended up being a very strong COVID beneficiary, but the Chinese housing market was in a pretty strong downturn um, in the midst of of COVID. So it's even starting to recover with new home sales being very strong in, in the month of March. The Chinese government has set out an economic growth target of 5%. Um, what I've seen recently is um, several revisions upwards to expectations for economic growth in, in China. So that could surprise on the upside, which could actually really elevate expectations for global growth You know, overall. Um, and I'm not dissecting the headwinds that we'll see probably in North America and Europe, But when you look at global economic growth, higher expected growth in China is going to have a pretty significant impact on those expectations.
0: Right. Um, You mentioned that China is sort of following the same path as uh, other uh, countries post covid um, uh, with the exception of housing, uh, which is a bit of a, a Chinese anomaly. I think the other thing that uh, is interesting is uh, the inflation rate in China seems to be fairly stable. Uh, it's a little bit maybe above their their uh, target, but uh, nothing compared to what we've seen in uh, Europe or North America. Uh, Is your expectation that that inflation uh, remains constrained or is this a a risk for the the Chinese uh, economy and and maybe global GDP in general?
1: Um, It's such a good observation, Matt. I'm so glad you brought that up because um, it really speaks to why monetary policy can be looser in China and just in in Asia in general. They don't have the same upward inflationary pressures that we have in North America, and particularly in the context of labor. There just isn't the same. Um, strength in the labor force that has been able, you know, here in North America, that certainly facilitated very strong wage growth. We don't see that in the Asian markets and that has, I I would say, provided a bit of a dampening ability for inflation and that has enabled a looser monetary policy than what we've seen here.
0: Right. So because of that, uh, the, um, Lack of constraint in the labor market, your expectation is that inflation probably stays uh, relatively contained uh, in China, bounce around, of course, but uh, not not experience the same sort of uptick in North America or Europe.
1: Exactly. Which, which gives a very different outlook and a very different path in the recovery, in the post-COVID recovery than we experienced here and in Europe, where inflation just really took off and policymakers had to act in a very um, defined fashion to increase interest rates very quickly. That's not our expectation. That's certainly not in our outlook for markets like China.
0: Perfect. Um, and uh, you, you referenced the uh, very quick increase uh, in interest rates in North America and Europe um, that uh, led to some casualties. Most recently, the regional banks uh, seems like it's really uh, a hit there, uh, their profit. You referenced the three banks or nearly three banks that have gone under – call it two and a half plus uh, the UBS uh, Credit Suisse uh, merger. Um, What's your view on regional banks uh, right now? Things seem like they've quieted down a little bit. Uh, Is that your expectation that they will remain quiet or is this uh, a source of risk? Well, I think
1: it's fair to say that we can't have a conversation around the outlook without talking about the banking sector uh, at this point in time. So um, I think it's good for us to address where we are today and the impact that we expect that will have downstream on, on the economy. It's clear that the immediate panic around the regional banking crisis has definitely eased, and that's been positive for markets. I mentioned performance in the first quarter has really surprised us uh, coming out of that uh, panicked environment or increased volatility. And risk assets in particular have benefited risk assets like equities, for example but one thing to note coming out of the last few weeks is we have seen um a notable decrease or decline in deposits in the banking system in the US so so that's right. sort of you know issue number 1 because lower deposits mean that there's less capital available to make bank uh, to make loans into the economy and smaller banks represent a very significant and almost disproportionate amount of commercial and industrial lending right? as we all know, cause you've talked about it with other guests um, in, in the podcast, the regional banks were less regulated and they were also accounting for a disproportionate share of loan growth over the last four years throughout the pandemic and, and post the pandemic uh, recovery. And, you know, that's been attributed to lower regulation in that sector. So when we think about lower regulation, Created more loan growth. The expectation coming out of this crisis is that there will be more regulation. So therefore, the corollary must must also be true: that higher regulation will lead to lower loan growth. So you've got lower deposits. You know, money is flocking into money market funds out of traditional deposit um, deposits with banks. So lower uh, deposits available for lending and higher regulation. And so both of these things are going to lead to less availability of capital for, for lending. And there's no question that will have a downstream impact on economic growth. To what extent, um, you know, there's been a lot written about this subject, but I think the reality is, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, it would be hard for us to really know what the multiplier effect could be of tighter uh, credit conditions. But I think it's fair to say probably for the U.S. economy, we're talking about something between, you know, a quarter of a point of GDP to three quarters to to 1% of of GDP as as a headwind for uh, that economy. So I think that's the – so that sort of volatility um, nucleus of the crisis is past, and now we deal with this slower drip of impact – um, as it filters through the aftershocks through, uh, the U S economy, um, go ahead.
0: And, and that, that lower growth, um, and, and the impacts, it sounds like, uh, a, uh, almost like a slow, uh, lit fuse call it for, for certain banks. Um, certainly if you have uh, less ability to make money through loans, uh, less deposit base to go th- for increased regulatory scrutiny, um, over the sort of medium term, do you, do you expect this to be uh, a significant headwind to maybe not even just regional banks, but, but all uh, US, U.S. banks?
1: I think that that's already been priced into the sector, okay. although there will be market share gains with the large banks, the systemically important banks, um, and they're going to get a disproportionate share of deposits because people will feel safer with those banks and people will also be looking to diversify Uh, their deposit base, but I do think that profitability will have an overhang profitability because of lower growth and higher regulation and less availability. So I think overall the banking sector, and, you know, that's something that could really find its way into the Canadian banking system. Although we don't have the same issues. um, If we start to see lower deposit growth again, you know, we haven't seen that yet, but that trend of, of, um, Uh, flows moving out of uh, demand deposits into money market, that's where we could see an overflow or a spillover into the Canadian banking system when it comes to expectations for earnings growth or profitability.
0: Great. Maybe just to sort of take all the comments and and try to weave them together to to get some sort of uh, outlook or or projection uh, from you. So uh, we talked about uh, OPEC um, probably being uh, higher for oil prices, higher for inflation, uh, the China reopening story sort of on track as expected, uh, but uh, good for global growth. Uh, headwinds from uh, from both regional banks um, and uh, and and some sort of call it medium term uh, to longer term headwinds out of, uh, of the Canadian budget. What does that what does that break down to for sort of the, the remaining uh, part of this year, perhaps for equity markets? Mm-hmm.
1: So when you think about, um, you know, one thing we haven't talked about is the expectations well for the fed specifically like we know where the bank of canada is right now which is on a a a data-driven pause if you will so let's just go with the assumption that they stay with the pause The, the real question has been well what does the fed do because we've started to see a real change in expectations um remember before the banking crisis things started to really um spiral upwards on thinking around whether The Fed was going to move 50 basis points at that last meeting. And then it sort of swung to, well, maybe they won't move at all. And that all happened in the span of a week or two. So things are moving very quickly. What we're seeing right now is the market is expecting the Fed to cut by about uh, sorry, the market is expecting one to two more increases in this cycle, um, 25 basis points each somewhere in in between there. And then after that, um, a pause and then to move to cutting around 150 basis points in the next two years, starting in the fourth quarter of this year. So that's a real change from what we saw prior to the banking crisis. And so in the context of equities, Equities have really responded to that, and that's really added fuel to that NASDAQ fire, if if you will. Now, we think that that is, again, a bit of an overshoot and uh, very optimistic when it comes to expectations. Of course, we didn't anticipate the OPEC move today, but you can see how um, – how tenuous the market is and in, in the expectations that the Fed is going to move to a cut because interest rates started to move higher very quickly on the short end today in response to right. the OPEC move because they know that will be inflationary and it's just going to make the Fed's job harder. But what they really mean to say is <laughs> it's going to make the Fed's job harder, but also it's going to be harder to achieve this market expectation, which is very different than what Fed's guidance is this year. So we think that uh, the market is overly optimistic right now about the calculus or the path that rates will go through throughout the year and that it could be a setup for a bit of a disappointment. We had expected the first half of the year to be weaker, more on the earnings growth outlook, and uh we didn't get that in, in the first quarter. We think we could see that in the second quarter, and it won't be until we have more comfort and clarity of that the Fed's work is done, the fight against inflation is is done, that we'll start to be more optimistic about equity. So we've moved um marginally to favor bonds over equities. Uh, right now in our global investment committee, Um, just a small underweight to equities on the basis of what we think is just over excitement around stocks related to unrealistic expectations that the Fed is going to start cutting uh, early in, uh, sorry, in the second half of this year.
0: Well, let's uh, call it there, Leslie. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me once again, Matt.
0: The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes, and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein.